Baby, dude, that intro song is just gas every single time I hear it. This is. Uh, uh, do, do you know what that is? 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 I do not. That's that's my sound of excitement because Chandler and I are actually in the middle of a startup dynasty draft that started yesterday. God. We're we're in the middle of the third round right now. It's a slow draft, so we will not be missing any picks. Emphasis on slow. Emphasis on slow for sure. We've had a ton of trades. Um, we will do an episode at a at a certain point once the draft is finished. We will do an episode recapping and uh, you know recapping the draft because we are one of you. We, we tilt just as much oh, as yes. the average listener here. We get stressed out just about as the much draft. more, probably. Yeah, probably more because we overanalyze everything. Um, but that's what fantasy football is about. We're in it Heck together. Yes. The- All right, very, very quick. So far through two and a half rounds, what's your grade on the slow draft for the dynasty? Meaning, how do I feel about yeah. that decision? Yeah, what's your letter grade on slow draft for Dynasty? Oh, I still think it's an A. I, I, I mean, people are upset in our league. I think that's why you're asking the question. Yep. But I don't think that there's another way to do it because if we did, you know, two minutes per pick, which is probably standard in redraft right. leagues, there would be way fewer trades, potentially none. And people, you know, you just don't... Dynasty, when you do a startup Dynasty draft, you're drafting players for life, for yes. the rest of your tenure that's in fair. this league. I want to be very confident in my picks and get the guys that I actually want, not the guys that I tilted my way into drafting. All right, that's fair. I, I fully agree that this is the only way to do a startup dynasty draft. That being said, like my grade is a C plus so far. I'm I'm <laughs> not really having fun having to wait for my players to fall to me. It, it is very stressful and very anxiety inducing, but that's also what I love about fantasy football. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's get into some agenda for today. All right, so we have. Um, an action-packed show. By the way, welcome into the Dirty Water Fantasy Podcast, Episode Five. Miles Ullman, joined, of course, by Chandler Hennig. Um, we have an awesome show in store for you. We're doing sleepers, breakouts, busts, and values. But before we get into that, there is some news from around the league that we need to break down. The first one being Carson Wentz um, is expected to miss five to twelve weeks of the regular season with a foot injury. Uh, he's getting surgery. In our last episode, we talked about, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give updates if there are more developments for this story. There was a more, there was a further development. It is that he is going to miss five to 12 weeks, which by the way, ludicrous timeline. Yeah. What is, what is five to 12? That's one to three months. I don't know. This is what, this is like some bone in his foot that had been like bugging him since high school or something. I, I don't know. This is, this is so confusing. Um, Let's very to talk very quickly, excuse me, talk implications here. Colts pass catchers, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I was in on any Colts pass catchers to start. Incre- in- continue to fade, fade further. Um, guys like Pittman, guys like Paris Campbell, Zach Pascal. Uh, I don't think either of us were really particularly in on Jack Doyle or Mo'Ally Cox in the tight end position. 
Yeah, I, I think I think all of the guys you just named were maybe considerations for late round flyers. Now, don't take that flyer to choose someone else as your flyer sure. because that other person will ha- that you know that other player that you can take in the fourteenth round will have their starting QB. Yep. Yep. Um, what about the running backs? Yeah, it's just not great. I think news for Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Um, you you want a good functioning offense for your running back to be a, a part of. Wentz was maybe gonna be that for the Colts. I don't think we were really ever sure on that. Um, one other note here that I will that I will make quickly is one of the premier guards in the in, in the NFL, Quentin. Excuse me, Quentin Nilsson went down. Um, He's also going to be out for a couple of weeks with a foot injury. I don't believe that's season ending. No, it's the exact same injury, five to 12 weeks for him too. Okay, so again, this was going to be one of the best lines in the league. It still should be a pretty good line from what I'm understanding, but one of your, I think, all pro or definitely all star. Yeah, I think Lyman goes down I think hard to PFF replace. PFF had him as the number one guard okay. for the year. Um, yeah, and and... You know, Jonathan Taylor is quickly falling on draft boards. He, you know, that whole offense is going to be worse. They don't have their QB, so you have to imagine defenses are going to stack the box. And now they don't have one of their best linemen, like you just said. So I moved Jonathan Taylor down in my rankings. I used to feel comfortable taking him with a top six to seven pick he's probably closer to a back of the first early second for me now I don't think I think I had him probably in the back of the first so far and he has probably fallen into early to mid second for me right now feels comfortable for Taylor specifically in redraft let's clarify that as well still feel good about him in dynasty yep Kenny Galladay for the New York Giants, is missing the next two to three weeks. Um, He has the potential to be ready for week one, but his timeline is unclear right now. What is your take now on Galladay? Are you interested in... Are you you avoiding him in drafts altogether now? No, this doesn't really change how I feel about Galladay. I was lower on him than his ADP was. I'm a little worried about that offense in general, and specifically the number of Mouse defeat. They are paying Galladay to be a wide receiver one. That should breed some confidence, but it is murky to say the least behind him. And and I'm just not sure what his target share will be look like. And and frankly, the Giants should hand the ball off to Saquon Barkley a zillion times a game and trying to control the game in that way. Yeah, I think I I was higher on Galladay than you had been. So this news impacted my rankings more. Mm-hmm. Um. I moved him down a little bit. I think also if you know he can't if he can't suit up for week one, then probably Sterling Shepard gets a little bit of a bump. Evan Ingram maybe, um, but o- overall, yeah, I think you're correct. It, it is a very tough offense to read right now. Yep. Another guy on the Giants, Saquon Barkley. There's some news about him. Um, as of today, he reported to camp. Um, or sorry, I should say that he was able to practice today. He was activated, right? He was activated, exactly. Um, It's uncertain right now, though, what his timeline is for the start of the season, meaning we're not positive whether or not he will be there for week one. Right. Um, He may miss a couple of weeks. I think even if he does start 
week one, he will probably be on a limited workload to start the season. Um, what is your opinion of Saquon going into drafts right now? Saquon is one of the rare players, the rare couple of running backs that could finish as the RB1. I don't think that list is that that long. I, McCaffrey, Dalvin, Kamara, and maybe Henry round that list out for me. Um, so with that in mind, I'm still taking Saquon in the first, but he is after that tier of guys for me. He is a guy where I feel a little bit less sure about him than someone like Aaron Jones or even Zeke, for example. But I think the the potential there and the talent and the ability to be that RB1 overall, meaning scores the most points from the RB slot this season, that feels the right place for, for Saquon right now. Yeah, I, my, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this when we discuss draft strategies in a future episode, in the next episode, actually. But he, my strategy is to take safety in round one. Obviously, yep. you want upside, but everyone in the f- first round has upside. Yes. So yes, you're right. There's a certain point at which you kind of have to take Saquon because his upside is so tremendous. But his floor right now is so low. I'd rather get a guy I know will be healthy for the first two weeks of the season or however long you know his, timelines, his, his timeline ends up being um, in the first. You know, we're talking about bus later in the episode. He's a name that we could have brought up in the bus segment because of this injury and because, you know, he, even before the injury in 2020, in 2019, I believe he finished as the RB10. He was disappointing for fantasy. And just to clarify one thing you said there, his floor is low relative to the players being taken yes, around for right sure. now. Yes, for sure. Agreed. Um, another guy with some sort of ambiguous injury news is Amari Cooper. He had off-season ankle surgery, um, and he's expected to resume practicing in mid-August, which is very soon, probably in the next week or two. Um, but it does concern me a little bit that he's going to miss some time, and that allows... Dak Prescott to feel more comfortable with C.D. Lamb. Um, Did you move Cooper down in your rankings at all because of this? Did you move C.D. up? Is there any implication there? Not really for me. I think these are going to be two guys that are going to end up close in my rankings and on on my draft board anyways. I think that's just because I'm getting higher on C.D. versus Cooper moving. If this was a situation where... Either Cooper had moved to a new team and was a new quarterback, or uh, or a new quarterback was coming into the to the Cowboys. I'd be a little bit more concerned, but I'm pretty confident in saying that Dak and Amari have a rapport built up already when they are back on the field, and and Cooper's a veteran as well too, which which matters here when they're back in the field together. I expect them to produce. Yep, and stay tuned. CD might be another name that we bring up. That's possible uh, later in this That's episode. Possible. Dak Prescott also is dealing with a shoulder injury right now. There was some report that it's more of a baseball injury. I don't really even know what that means, but I think right now it's something to keep an eye on. Obviously, everyone in that offense gets a downgrade if Dak is not ready to go week one. Yep, we saw that We saw that last season. Yep, exactly. Um, the last piece of news is Justin Jefferson sprained his AC joint. Not a serious injury. Shouldn't affect his ability to start week one. Did not affect my rankings at all. You? No, Justin Jefferson should be a stud this season. 
Agreed. All right, let's get into it. So we have sleepers, breakouts, busts, and values on the show today. Um, This is a really cool episode, I think, because we've talked about a lot of players at a very superficial level so far, but we really haven't been able to do any deep dives on players. And so we, you and I each picked one player from each of these four categories to discuss in length and sort of make our case for why we either believe in this player or in the situation of the busts, believe that this player will not work out for fantasy. So let's get into it. We'll start off with sleepers. Um, The way we defined a sleeper is a player with an ADP in the 12th round or later whom you believe will return tremendous value in fantasy. Do you want to start us off? Yeah, totally. I'm totally happy to do that. So, uh, you know, a a player to start in Adam Troutman. um, Let me first give a little bit of uh, background on Troutman because I think this might be the least known name that we talk about probably of the of the eight players we're going to discuss. So Troutman is a presumpting starting tight end for the New Orleans Saints. 24 years old, one year of college experience, came out of uh, Dayton in in Ohio. Um, Dayton is an FCS school. One thing we'll talk about in a second here. But a player that we've kind of had in our radar a little bit the past couple of weeks, specifically because of the Michael Thomas of the Michael Thomas injury, and we'll come back to that in a second. But first off, let's just go through some other numbers here. ADP Troutman is fourteen oh four. You are getting him in the second to last or last round, not not including if you're taking a, a kicker or a defense, perhaps. He is yeah, and in, in many cases probably not drafted. Right. In the, yeah, that's that's totally possible as well too. He might be undrafted in 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 your league. He's tight end nineteen right now, so that would make a lot of sense unless your league is a league that tends to to um, to load up on on the tight end position. Performance from last season, none to really speak of. Uh, Troutman caught 15 of 16 targets, which obviously is great. That's very efficient in a very small sample size for 170, uh, excuse me, 171 yards and one touchdown. In terms of pedigree, uh, as I mentioned, Dayton is an FCS school. There was concerns for him coming out of school in terms of being able to play up against you know better competition in the NFL. Um, that being said, he did go to the senior bowl in 2020 and he was named pioneer football player, excuse me, offensive pioneer offensive player of the year in 2019, which was the conference that they in plays in. So the saints traded in the third round in the 2020 draft to select him. And part of the reason that was is undoubtedly because he had a really good combine. He tested in the 97th percentile among tight ends in the three cone drill. That was from an ESPN article by Rivers McCown. Just want to credit that as well too. So the real reason that I am in on Troutman as a sleeper this year is the opportunity. And by that, I mean there are targets available in this offense that need to go someplace. Uh, let's do a quick recap of the top five uh, play- Saints players by targets from 2020. They are Kamara with 107, no surprise there. Emmanuel Sanders with 82 targets last year. Jared Cook had 60 targets. Michael Thomas had 55 and Traquan Smith had 50. So looking at that list, there are 142 targets between Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook, the Saints, excuse me, the Saints starting tight end from last season that are no longer on the roster. The only other tight end on the 2020 Saints who uh, who got any targets was Josh Hill, who had 10. Josh Hill retired. He is no longer with the team either. So uh, I think a few weeks ago, we'd have probably looked at this list and said, okay, there is a big course correction coming here with Michael Thomas. 
you know, he had, as I said, 55 targets uh, last season. We'd expect a player like Thomas to be up over 100. That's that kind of elite, elite volume, elite tier um, wide receiver. But that's not going to be the case anymore. We have Thomas missing between four to six weeks. And, and the point being is the Saints need to throw the ball somewhere. And the rest of this roster besides Kamara is very unsettled in terms of who's going to get that who's going to get that work. We talked about a little bit about Traquan Smith. We talked about Marquez Calloway. These are guys that I think we might be throwing darts on later in the later in the in the drafts because of that uncertainty. And Troutman is a guy where if you are chasing volume, which you absolutely should be for tight end later in the later in the draft, he is a guy that is potentially looking at a huge bump in the number of looks you will be getting. I do want to make one other note about this offense in general. As we previously mentioned on a couple other podcasts or other, excuse me, episodes, there was an ongoing QB competition in New Orleans. Now, Taysom Hill is a bit of a wild card. I don't think we've really seen enough of him at quarterback to understand where his tendencies are. That being said, Taysom is a quarterback who likes to run. He likes to tuck the ball in. I think that hurts the offense in general. So something to keep an eye on there. Jameis is the total opposite. We know that Jameis loves targeting his tight ends especially in the red zone. The last season where uh, Jameis was a, excuse me, last season where he was a starter was 2019 when he was on the Bucks. He finished with the QB for that season, a really good season for Jameis. And in that season, he targeted his tight ends, mainly Cameron Bray and OJ Howard, a combined 118 times. That is huge, huge volume for the tight end position. One final note here I did want to mention. Uh, this is a, a stat from Eric, uh, excuse me, Andrew Erickson, uh, who I think is part of the uh, the PFF crew. Jameis has 32 career touchdowns and zero interceptions when targeting tight ends in the red zone. If Jameis ends up as the starting quarterback on New Orleans, which is where I'm leaning right now, this again will be a player who has shown a propensity to look at his tight ends in general and specifically in the red zone. Uh, and, and again, that's just another bump in, in value for, for Trapman for me. I love it. I'm so happy that you chose Adam Troutman for this. Um, I, we, we've talked before about the idea of taking late round tight ends. The, um, the, the trade-off, you know, if you miss out on Kelsey Kittle or Waller, um, you know, a, a couple other guys in that tier one might get mentioned very soon later in this episode <laughs> as well. Um, if you miss out on that top tier, there's no reason to take the middle tier because after sort of like the, the 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 maybe tight end four or five, the rest of the field is separated by very few points. So what you want to do is you want to target upside late in the late in your draft at tight end um, because if that tight end flyer doesn't hit, you can just move on and stream and it doesn't even matter. So the point here is that you are not investing <laughs> basically any cap draft capital into Adam Troutman. And the tight ends who always succeed in fantasy are the second or third receiving option, or I should say the first or second receiving options on their team. What you're proposing is that he might be that for the Saints this year, right? Travis Kelsey is the first or second option for his team. Um, George Kittle is the first or second option for his team. Darren Waller, first or second option for his team. Adam Troutman might be the first or second option for his team. Aside from Kamara, he might be the second option after Michael Thomas, or if Michael Thomas gets traded with all these weird rumors, it might be him. Uh, it might be Troutman who, who steps into that role. One other thing I want to sort of cl- clarify um, based on what you said. You said Josh Hill retired. 
um, Josh Hill actually was let go by the Saints, and he signed with the Lions and then retired two months after signing with the Lions. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, you know, uh, one really good way to forecast what a team is planning to do is to follow their offseason transactions. Totally. The Saints let go of Jared Cook. They let Josh Hill go because they wanted Adam Troutman to take a step up and be that centerpiece tight end for their offense. Yep, very good point. So I love it. I will move on to my guy, which is quarterback for the Washington football team, Ryan Fitzpatrick. He currently has an ADP in the 13th round, 13-10, which is the QB 22. Over the last four seasons, Fitzpatrick has been a QB1 in 18 of 37 games. That's 48%. In 2018, he was the QB1 in weeks one through three before Jameis came back from suspension. Then in 2019, he was the QB2 in weeks seven through 17 after taking over from a benched Josh Rosen. Last year, in 2020, Fitzpatrick started weeks one through six for the Dolphins. In that time, he was the QB8 for fantasy before they let Tua take over after the bye. They did not let Tua take over because Fitzpatrick was playing poorly by any means. They were just investing in Tua as their long-term franchise QB. From PFF, um, only 43% of Fitzpatrick's passes last season were to open receivers. That's the second lowest in the NFL. This is not a reflection of Fitzpatrick being bad, to be clear. This is a reflection of his receivers being bad. He also had the second highest rate of accurate plus throws, which is just a PFF stat that means he's accurate. He had the fifth highest completion percentage in the league, and he was number 19 in interception rate. So not especially high like his reputation suggests. He, 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 he's sort of known as this gunslinger, you know, shoot for the moon type of quarterback. It really isn't the case. Fifth highest completion percentage, number 19 in interception rate, like I just mentioned. And he did all of this behind a really bad O-line and with a good defense, meaning he didn't need to throw a ton. He's now going to a team in the Washington football team where he is the clear-cut starter, has one of the best O-lines in the league, and inherits better receivers than he had last year in Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas, Antonio Gibson, and J.D. McKissick out of the backfield. Um... The, the football team also threw the ball 37.4 times per game last year with bad quarterbacks versus Fitzpatrick's 33.7 attempts per game in his starts with the Dolphins. Washington football team was ninth in the league in total pass attempts. Even if that comes down a little bit, what we're looking at is a reasonable projection for Fitzpatrick of about 550 attempts this coming season. He has had... Two seasons in his career where he's thrown the ball more than 505 times, and in both of those seasons, he was a top 12 fantasy quarterback. So, what we're looking at is a guy who has been an extremely good fantasy QB option over the last four seasons, is extremely accurate when throwing to bad receivers, um, is now entering one of the better situations for any QB, and he's being drafted in the last few rounds of your draft exactly what I was just saying for tight ends, the um, the positional difference makes it such that it's worth it to wait on a late-round QB. And this is a guy that I would want to target. He will absolutely outperform his ADP of QB 22, you know, barring injury, of course. And if, like I said, if you wait on QB, this is the guy you should target, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely love the call. Um, 
Miles, you alluded to this as well, too. We will talk about some strategies, I think, in the next episode. Late-round quarterback is something that we've been in on as a policy for the past couple of years now. Uh, I think you summarized it really, really well. Fitzpatrick has been an effective quarterback from a fantasy standpoint over the past couple of years, and his situation from an offense in general, from receiving options— uh, behind you know a better O line is all going to increase is all getting better. There is no reason for him for, to to not believe that he will be a viable fantasy option uh, on a week to week basis. And and Fitzpatrick has always been one of those guys who has been a darling streaming quarterback. Of he has a good matchup this week, get him up off your waiver if you have a quarterback on a buy and insert him in your lineup and feel pretty good about it. So totally with you on that. One thing I did want to just clarify, I think we've actually been throwing these terms around a little bit over the past couple episodes, so important. When we're saying has been Fitzpatrick has been a QB1 in 18 of 37 games, we're talking about he has been a quarterback uh, 12 or better on, on that week. So essentially, if you have a 12-team league, it would make sense to have him rostered uh, if everyone was playing the ideal lineup. When we're talking about him being he was QB he was the QB one in weeks one to three before Jameis Winston came back in twenty eighteen. You're talking about he was the best quarterback in fantasy football during those weeks. He was putting up the most points combined over those weeks. So again, we have a guy who just to recap that, we have a guy who is consistently a player that you want to be rostering and has shown that boom ability when in the right situation. Yep. A few honorable mentions for sleepers, guys we considered talking about and bringing up in this segment but did not john brown gerald everett russell gage jd mckissick cole beasley and jameson crowder bringing up uh breakouts now the way we defined a breakout is a young player whom you believe has an opportunity to take a huge leap forward this year for fantasy um i'll i'll start us off my guy is tj hawkinson tight end for the detroit lions He has an ADP of 601, the very first pick of the sixth round this year, and that is the tight end six off the board. My argument for Hawkinson starts at this. He already broke out last season. This is almost a cheating... I'm almost cheating with with this choice, but people aren't treating it as though he broke out. He finished as the tight end five in PPR, tight end four and half PPR, and the tight end three in PPR, if we only look at weeks one through 16, which is when we actually play play fantasy football, week 17 is kind of a, a scrap because most, you know, if your league plays week 17, you should change that. And you're, well, <laughs> last season, you should have changed that. This season, your championship should be in week 17. The last week of the regular season is a wash because the good teams sit their players. So if we look at only weeks one through 16, he was actually the tight end three in PPR. Um, But what I'm saying is that I believe Hawkinson will make the leap this year from a really solid tight end for your roster to a huge difference maker week to week. Um, Last year, Hawkinson had 67 receptions on 101 targets. Here are some reasons to believe that his target total will increase from that 101 target number. The Lions will be worse and will be trailing in more games this year and will therefore have to pass more. Bad teams get garbage time points and garbage time counts for fantasy football. 
that means that garbage time, the bad teams are, are, you know, it's good for the pass catchers on those bad teams. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Marvin Hall, Mohamed Sanu, these are all guys who got targets last year and are no longer on the team. They vacated a combined 237 targets between them. That's a lot of targets. Who did the Lions bring in to replace those guys? They brought in Tyrell Williams, Brashad Perryman, and rookie Amon Ross St. Brown. These are not inspiring names. These are not names that really get us excited. Amon Ra definitely has some upside, but he's a rookie. He's raw. Hawkinson will be the most tenured and most talented Lions pass catcher this year. He's going from the number three target in the offense to probably the number one target in the offense. When it comes to fantasy, the dominant tight ends, like I mentioned for Adam Troutman, are the number one or number two targets on their team. These are your your Kelsey's, your Kittles, your Wallers. Um, I believe Hawkinson will see that volume. I believe that he will be the number one target for this Lions team. And on top of that, he's good. He's going to do something with those targets. His athleticism grades in the 90th percentile, and he was the eighth overall pick of his draft class. I feel like we forget about that. We, you know, we we hype up Kyle Pitts as this monster. Kyle Pitts went four picks ahead of him. TJ Hawkinson was a highly touted tight end, one of the highest, one of the most highly touted tight ends of all time before Kyle Pitts. And so, you know, all of this is to say that he's a really good player, and I believe that he can do a lot with that volume. Since 2012, a total of 27 tight ends have reached 115-plus targets in a season. Remember, that is only 15, or sorry, 14 more targets than he saw last season, which is only fewer, which is actually fewer than one more target a game. Only one of those 27 tight ends finished worse than the tight end five in half PPR. That was Dennis Pitta in 2016. So a low-end target projection for TJ Hawkinson is very likely to provide tight end five value as his absolute floor and his upside is Waller or Kittle-esque dominance yeah uh, just awesome awesome stats there I think the the notes and the analysis about vacated targets and where those have to go in this offense makes perfect sense I know this is a player we've talked about a lot because I have a soft spot for him but Hawkinson almost reminds me of Allen Robinson on a different team in a different position. Allen Robinson has not been on good offenses. He has not had good quarterback play. I don't think we're expecting much from Jared Goff. And yet, even if Allen Robinson is not having a great game overall, it feels like those last two or three drives, he will pick up five or six receptions for 40 or 50 yards and provide that 10-point floor on top of whatever he's done the entire rest of the game. If he scores a touchdown, you're having one of those blow-up weeks. And I think this is a situation that is remarkably similar for Hawkinson. He really can jump into that next tier. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, he is that last guy in that first tier of tight ends for you. Yes. Well, so so my projection is that TJ Hawkinson will finish as the tight end four. So he's my fourth favorite tight end this year. Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, Hawkinson, in that order. He's being drafted as the tight end six. So when I said yes, I was sort of referring to if you miss out on that top tier of tight ends, um, Hawkinson would be the the last available one in your drafts. But I believe that he's 
being undervalued totally for that position you were gonna wait basically if you don't get hawkinson yes exactly perfect okay that makes perfect sense all right we alluded it to alluded to it a little bit already my guy is cd lamb uh wide receiver for the cowboys adp Um, can i interrupt you real quick yeah i have some breaking news here yeah travis Etienne just went in the third round 3.8 i'm i'm kind of upset about that because i I, really wanted him um Sorry shout, to shout it out. Who uh, who took him? Uh, I don't know. Who was the eighth pick? Uh, Too many trades up. right now. I know. Um, that pick went to uh, Matty Kurz. Kurz. Wow. I did not think that he was going to take... He took three straight running RB, backs. RB, RB, RB in Dynasty. Yeah. All right. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Oh, and I'm on the clock because Siegel just took Austin Eckler. So... Uh, all right, the we'll let, we're gonna we'll, have to wait for that one. We'll let Miles um, mull that one a little bit, and maybe he'll tilt to the rest of this podcast. For we'll sure. see. All right, CD Lamb, ADP of three eleven, so end of the end of the third, being drafted as wide receiver eighteen right now. Very similar to Hawkinson in terms of how I perceive uh, him him from last year. See, as a player has already shown why he was highly so highly touted coming out of college. A quick reminder on that: CD was drafted seventeenth overall in the twenty twenty NFL draft. In that draft, the Cowboys really need to be focusing on defense. Their defense was terrible the previous year, and, and their offense was already pretty good. And yet, CD fell to them. They looked at his talent and his profile and said, this is a player that we just can't afford to miss out on. We have to take him in the first round here. I did actually go back through some of CD's draft profiles. Among his player comps were Chad Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins. That's that's pretty good, right, Miles? That's pretty good. Okay, cool. Just want to confirm that. So performance from last season, he finished as the wide receiver 22 in PPR, wide receiver 20 in standard scoring. That was 74 receptions on 111 targets for almost 1,000 yards and five TDs. Um, I actually do want to pause for a second because this is your note about wide receivers entering year two. Can you just provide a little bit of insight in terms of why wide receivers entering year two is something to target in your drafts. Yep, absolutely. So w- thank you for, for, for pausing here. Wide receivers have the highest breakout rate in year two by far, with breakout defined as the receiver's first 200-point PPR season. Basically, if you were to look at a chart of that, it would peak in year two and then decline for every year thereafter. Um, these are your DKs, Terry McLaurin's, DJ Moore's, Deontay Johnson's of the world. So if you're targeting an upside guy in your drafts, year two breakouts are, or year two receivers, excuse me, are often the guys that you want to target. CeeDee Lamb obviously falls into that category. Perfect. Awesome. So let's talk about opportunity and volume a little bit, because this is one area where, unlike Hawkinson, I don't expect this to be a huge jump for CD. This this offense really should look pretty consistent from last year. Amari and Michael Gallup, from a receiving standpoint, will still get their looks. Uh, Amari is going to be a guy who, barring injury, will get over 100 targets last year, 100 targets this year, and I don't have like a reason for for that to to change. Zeke and and the TE position that was Dalton Solch last season, probably J- like Jarwin this season, were both in kind of the 70 to 90 target range. The reason I'm so confident on C taking a step forward to that you know that high end wide receiver two value is the quality of targets should increase massively compared to the majority of last season. So CD started last season with Dak Prescott throwing him the ball. I think we can both agree a consensus top 10 NFL quarterback from a talent standpoint and certainly from a fantasy standpoint. Dak went down in week five versus the Giants and through that week CD was averaging 17 points per game. 
if he kept that pace up over the entire season, which again is a small sample size, but five games is is a good chunk of the season, CD would have finished as wide in the wide receiver eight range on a points per game basis, massively outperforming kind of where he was drafted and even his finish overall. And as a rookie, yes, as a rookie. So, in sum, give me the floor that that CD showed last season. Add in the significant upgrade at QB. And let me see how high this player's ceiling is. We talked a little bit about Amari. It doesn't seem impossible that CD ends up as the receiver option on this team who scores the highest number of fantasy points. We've seen that, as I said, we've seen that in a in a brief window that chemistry with Dak Prescott. We we know this offense is gonna is just gonna go this season. At least we, that's what we think it's gonna happen. And I want CD for his value right now because I think, excuse me, for his cost right now because I think he's going to return that value and offers that upside of a high-end wide receiver two, maybe even wide receiver one finish. Yeah. Um, I love CD so much this year. Um, <laughs> I, I think we mentioned it when we did the mock draft. I fully believe that Amari Cooper and CD Lamb can e- can easily both finish in the top 12 this year. Mm-hmm. Um, CD, like you said, essentially has a floor of wide receiver. What did he finish? Wide receiver 22. Yep. And his ceiling is, I don't know, this year, maybe wide receiver four or five next year, wide receiver one overall. So, you know, this is a player that I love to target. Um, his ADP is climbing, yes, which is like a little bit scary, but, um, if you can get him for the right price, do it because I, I really believe that it'll take off, that he'll well, take off this year. And this is a good point. We're not going to talk a whole lot about players around the players that we're talking about here, but CD, at least the last time I checked, is still in that Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, maybe a little bit ahead of those guys now tier. And if there was a guy like Calvin Ridley or Nuke or Stefan Diggs, who I was able to get in the early second, and I want to go back in the late third and pick up a player with a little bit more upside than perhaps some of the other players around him, CD is an ideal option for me. Yeah, and I've also seen him um, near the swing, so near the end of the, the if you have you know maybe the 11th or 12th overall yep. pick, um, you get Allen Robinson as your wide receiver one, kind of a stalwart of consistency, but maybe doesn't provide a huge ceiling. Yep. And then CD as your wide receiver two, who we just talked about has a crazy ceiling. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the type of pair that I would love to have. Yep, totally. Awesome. Some honorable mentions for the breakout category. Curtis Samuel, um, Jamar Chase, Chase Claypool, Jerry Judy, and Brandon Ayuk. We're going to get into the busts now. Um, which let's is get sad. Interesting. What was that? Let's get sad. Yeah, let's get sad. It's, it's weird because I didn't even realize until just now, but for sleepers breakouts and values we picked guys that we wanted to talk about because we believe in them yep bust is the only one where we don't believe in these guys this year Mm -hmm. and (laughs) it is kind of sad yeah but what we defined a bust as is a player with an adp within the first seven rounds whom we believe will not return value do you want to kick it off yeah i do i do all right miles sanders running back on the philadelphia eagles ADP uh, back back of the th- back of the third round three eleven he is going as RB eighteen right now. Uh, I should just actually make a quick note. These are sleepers um, ADP rankings. It varies a little bit from platform to platform. We're going to be 
we have a couple of our leagues on Sleeper. We like Sleeper. We've mentioned that previously. That's where we're getting this these numbers from. Okay, so Miles Sanders' performance from last season. Finishes RB24 in PPR, RB22 in standard scoring. He did miss four games, including Week 17. He had 164 rushes for 867 yards and six touchdowns. He had 28 receptions on 52 targets for 197 yards and zero touchdowns. Let's first talk about pedigree for Miles Sanders. He's on the younger side, um, so this is, I think, still something where you can look at his how he was coming out of college and what his profile was. And in in a phrase here, Sanders' pedigree is good but not great. He was a middle-of-the-second-round draft pick by the Eagles in 2019, uh, but he was mostly known coming out of school as being the backup for generational running back talent Saquon Barkley. Uh, he was behind him at Penn State for a couple of years. Moving on to volume and opportunity here. The biggest knock on Sanders last season was that the Eagles refused to use him as a bell cow running back, despite what his talent might be. This is legitimate criticism last season. Sanders averaged approximately 14 carries per game and accounted for around 40% of the Eagles' rushing attempt, rushes by attempts. He maxed out at 20 rushing attempts, uh, which he did in, in one week. Now, just to provide a little bit of context around that, David Montgomery was a guy last season who the Bears used as a bell cow. They didn't really have an option. Tariq Cohen went down. Their offense really just was not in good shape. They didn't really have a good quarterback to be throwing the ball. They wanted to control the game. So just to repeat that, Sanders accounted for around 40% of the Eagles' rushings by attempts. David Montgomery was around two-thirds, a huge, huge gap in terms of volume. And as we've said repeatedly here, volume is what we are chasing when it comes to just the draft in general, I think. You know, we want that. We want that certainty when it comes to having opportunities. I would be remiss here if I didn't mention very briefly the, the receptions. Sanders did have a game with eight targets, but was typically in the three to four range. This is not necessarily a strong part of, of Sanders' game, and there is more bad news here this offseason that apparently Boston Scott, who has been on the team for a couple years now, that may end up being the primary Eagles pass catcher out of the backfields. Just for reference, in 2020, Sanders, as I mentioned, had 52 targets. Scott had 36. That's not a huge gap. It should not inspire confidence moving forward. So... By itself, these numbers are concerning, but perhaps digestible. It's what the Eagles did in the draft and the offseason that really concerns me, and for me, moves Sanders into that bust category. The Eagles, I think we can confidently say, made a concerted effort to add rushing talent to their roster. Just to highlight a couple of those moves, they went from Carson Wentz, who was a mobile quarterback and is now certainly not a mobile quarterback, to Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Uh, they signed Carrion Johnson almost immediately after he was cut from the Lions. I'm not sure if you remember that, but it felt like it was mm-hmm. maybe a day or two, um, which was surprising. I, I think there was times in the past when we liked Carrion, but feels like a player who might have missed his window entirely. And then they also took Kenneth Gainwell, um, a player who I like coming out of college, out of Memphis in the fifth round of the 2021 draft. So just to recap that, on the bounce, there are a lot more mouths to feed on a roster where we were already concerned about Sanders' volume coming in to the end of end of last season. I do also want to mention that this offense and team in general is a little scary when it comes to projecting and trying to figure out who is going to be the valuable player. Um, you know, this is perhaps maybe like most relevant when we're looking at wide receivers and who the quarterback is throwing to them. But this also matters for running backs, of course, because 
as part of that offense, when an offense has more scoring opportunities and more opportunities in general and is on the field for longer, the RB will will get some of that some of that um, some of that value. And the Eagles' offense is a huge question mark. I don't mind Hurts from a fantasy standpoint. I think this is a player that you will be in on the season. But in terms of real life NFL value, I don't think we've seen enough of him to really believe that this is a team that at least this season will consistently move the ball down the field. The other big question mark is the coaching staff for the Eagles. Nick Sirianni is a new head coach. Um, He has never called plays at the professional level. We don't know his perception on running backs are. We don't know if he likes a bell cow. We don't know if he likes a committee. He came over from the Colts where for a long stretch of last season, people are looking at Jonathan Taylor and saying, where the heck is this guy's value? He's being outtouched and outperformed by guys like Naheem Hines. So yeah, he, make no mistake, make no mistake about it. The Colts utilized an RBBC, a running back by committee. Jonathan Taylor was just the best one of the committee. Yes, and I think we are fully, fully aligned that Jonathan Taylor is a substantially better running back than Miles Sanders. I would agree. Is. Yes. So, you know, a couple of these things, you know, have come together, and and for me, this is this is just not good news. Uh, coming into this season. I will also point out that the, the the news from the beat reporters is also not great. I mentioned Boston Scott recently. Beat reporters are hyping him up, having apparently a very good camp so far in what is admittedly a, a, a pretty short period of time, but something to monitor, try and keep an eye on moving forward. Again, just to sum it up, I don't think Sanders is a bad player. I, I think he is in an unfortunate situation in terms of volume and the players around him. And there are guys around him like Clyde Edwards-Alaire, for example, like Chris Carson, who I feel a lot more certain about their role. And for that reason, I'm going to bias towards those guys if I am in that tier of the draft. Yeah, I agree. And and I don't even, you know, like we said when we were mock drafting, don't force a running back in the third round because you feel like you need to have a running back in the third round. There are going to be wide receivers there that are so much safer with higher upside than Miles Sanders is, and I've I fully agree with this bust. He's not someone that I've taken in any mock drafts that I've done this offseason at all. Um, I agree. You know, I like the player. I don't like the situation. Yep. I will get into my bust now, um, and that is DJ Chark. DJ Chark was a player that I was very high on last season he kind of burned me in in the leagues that i had him in which were a a few um and maybe that's you know add added some fuel to the fire here totally where i'm i'm choosing him as a bust but i also believe that there are good reasons to believe that he's a bust in addition to maybe those emotional ones his adp is the end of the sixth round 611 which is the wide receiver 31 Last year, he finished as the wide receiver 49 in PPR. That's not good. You were satisfied playing him about six times. He skewed, he scored fewer than double digits seven times and missed two games with injuries. You also, you know, when he was good in those six games, you never actually knew when you could play him. And because of that, he didn't actually help your team that much. Chark did lead the team in targets. Um, by the way, Wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Don't think I've mentioned that. He did lead the team in targets last year, but he was actually third on the team in receptions behind Keelan Cole and rookie LaVisca Chenault. We do expect 
the Jaguars to be better overall with, you know, better QB play from Trevor Lawrence than they had with Gardner Minshew and co last year, but they may have fewer passing attempts per game than they did last year with this slightly improved defense, a new explosive running back in Travis Etienne, um, and a new non-explosive, but veteran running back in Carlos Hyde. There's no guarantee even then after that, that Chark is the number one receiving option there. Teams, like I said for Troutman, teams tell you what they want to do when you follow their offseason transactions. So this offseason, they signed veteran and good wide receiver Marvin Jones, in addition to Tavon Austin, Laquan Treadwell, um, Philip Dorsett, Jamal Agnew. You know, a couple of those guys might get cut, but Marvin Jones is a big deal. They also signed running back Carlos Hyde, like I mentioned, drafted rookie running back Travis Etienne. Head coach Urban Meyer came in and made changes to this roster. He literally said he didn't like what he saw when he watched Chark's film this offseason, and he challenged the receiver to bulk up so he could be a big, strong, and fast receiver similar to Michael Thomas. He said, direct quote, he said, DJ Chark is a big guy who played little last year. His own coach is probably not fully bought into him. All of the hype in Jag- in in Jacksonville coming out of camp this year has been towards LaVisca Chenault and Travis Etienne. I believe that the team plans to lean on the running game more, utilize a lot of short yardage routes with Etienne and LaVisca, you know, kind of dump it off, let those guys, let those athletic playmakers run. And then who knows who Lawrence will favor in the deep game beyond that between Chark and Marvin Jones. Yes, you know, Lawrence is a great, quarterback prospect like we said of course but he's still a rookie quarterback with a not so great o-line and we have to temper expectations with that the news also broke this weekend that chark had surgery to repair a broken finger that's not expected to affect his ability to start week one but all of the signs just don't seem to be pointing in favor of of dj chark look you know do i believe that he's an athletic receiver who will have a few boom games throughout the season? Yes, probably. But I don't think you're going to be able to predict those boom games. And therefore, I don't believe he's going to truly help your team for fantasy this year. And I don't believe he'll return on his sixth or seventh round ADP. The good news is that, you know, if you do completely disagree with my take and you decide to draft him and then it turns out I'm right and he does bust, he's not crushing your team at the current price of a late sixth. But even then... I'd much rather take my shots on guys like Chase Edmonds, Chase Claypool, Cortland Sutton, Robbie Anderson. These are all guys going after Chark in drafts whom I'd rather have on my team this year. Yeah, I that last point is 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 I think very very important to 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 drive center home, on yeah. and, and drive home because although I agree with you that missing on a six is a heck of a lot better than missing on a third if you're going to take a guy like Sanders, for example, the sixth round is still a lot of that to be not hitting on in in the in, in a redraft. There's guys, as you mentioned, in that tier where you might be looking at your wide receiver three, maybe looking at your running back three, and those will be guys that you need to perform. And if you're going to waste that pick on a, on a player who lacks some of that upside of the guys that you mentioned and might even lack the floor of those some of those guys as well too you're going to get burned most likely yeah some 
some honorable mentions for the bust category, but guys we thought about but maybe didn't have the cojones to to lock in as <laughs> as bus jonathan taylor josh jacobs tyler lockett odell beckham hollywood brown damian harris and jk dobbins um, we have our last category here values we define this as a player with an adp in rounds five through ten whom we believe will return solid value meaning outperforming his adp i'll start us off with the very last player that i'll talk about for the day and that is Antonio Brown. ADP of 811 right now. He's a wide receiver 44 off the board in PPR. Wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In 2020, Antonio Brown missed the first eight weeks of the season with a, with a suspension, but finished as the wide receiver 24 in points per game on the season in PPR. That's important. Remember that. Wide receiver 24. The argument against AB is typically that there are too many mouths to feed in that offense, right? They have Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, the running backs. In the 11 games that AB played, so that includes the playoffs last year, here's how the target distribution broke down between the big three receivers in Tampa Bay, the three primary targets. Chris Godwin, with a fourth-round ADP, got 78 targets. Mike Evans, with a fourth-round ADP, also got 77 targets in that time. Antonio Brown, with his eighth-round eighth ADP, 76 targets. So he was separated from the target leader, Chris Godwin, by two targets over the course of 11 games. PFF graded Antonio Brown as the 10th overall receiver in receiving grade among players with 70-plus targets last year. That was the highest on the Bucks, And he was 22nd in the NFL in yards per route run. His full-season pace would have been 129 targets 95 receptions, 1,026 yards, and eight touchdowns, which would have translated to a high-end wide receiver too. And he did all of this coming onto a new roster halfway through the 2020 season, having played one game since the end of 2018. This is a future Hall of Famer whom we have no reason to believe is washed. And like I just illustrated, the target competition is, is real, but not such that it impedes on his fantasy value. He's playing with the GOAT in Tom Brady, who actually really likes AB. He In that one game that AB played in 2019, it was on the Pats, and Tom Brady fed him that game. Bruce Arians' quarterbacks are always better and really good in year two. This is why we saw Brady and the Bucks get progressively better over the course of the season and into the postseason. It takes time to learn, to learn the Arians' offense. And on top of that, the Bucks have the fourth easiest strength of schedule this year. I'm in on this entire offense. I like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin at their respective values, and I'm, I'm not saying that those guys shouldn't be fourth-round picks. I've taken them in a lot of mocks. But Antonio Brown should be up in that conversation, at least higher than where he's going right now. And I believe that this offense can support all three of these guys being really productive for fantasy. His upside is capped by his competition, like I mentioned, but his floor is very likely much higher than wide receiver 44, where he's being drafted right now. And that's why I think he's he's such a value in, in drafts this year. Yeah, love the take. Um, I, I think that's a, uh, an important point to, to come back to in terms of the mouse to feed. Because I think when we look around the league, we think of good offenses with good quarterbacks at maxing out at supporting two wide receivers from a fantasy standpoint. And maybe what we should be thinking about is that good offenses max out at 
three receiving options. Yep. And I think maybe the best example of it from last season is Minnesota, where you had a guy like Justin Jefferson fully break out. We couldn't have put him on the list because he's already had that breakout. A guy like Adam Thielen returning value and Dalvin absolutely being the monster that he was. So the, the running backs on Tampa Bay will be, which is who's Rojo and Leonard Fournette primarily, will be relevant, but they are not the target monsters like Dalvin, like Kamara, like Saquon if he plays up to his potential. So I I am fully in agreement that this is something we hear about the Bucks offense, and this is actually a good reminder in terms of shifting my mindset that I really shouldn't be looking at, you know, two wide receivers on this team and saying, as there room for one more wide receiver, it should really be, there are potential for three receiving options to be fantasy relevant and valuable. And AB looks to be an awesome shot as that third guy. Yep. I, I, I love that insight and I agree. Um, I, I fully believe that AB has, I think it's clear that he's the wide receiver three on that team, but I don't think that that translates to irrelevant for fantasy. Like I said, wide receiver 24 in points per game, you know, for the course of the season. Obviously, he played fewer games, but if he is a wide receiver two, that is returning great value yep. on this draft pick. Yep, totally. And and that's actually a really good segue to to my player, my final player that I'm talking about, who is Mike Williams, wide receiver for the Chargers. Love it. Mike Williams' ADP right now is uh, end of the 10th round. He's being drafted as the wide receiver 49. Last season, he finished as the wide receiver 46 in PPR, wide receiver 42 in standard scoring. He did miss two games, and... That, uh, that total was 48 receptions on 85 yards for 756 yards. Sorry, I think I, I, think I messed that up. 48 receptions on, on 85 targets for 756 yards and five touchdowns. So let's talk a little bit about talent. Uh, unlike Miles Sanders, because Williams is an older player, we have to factor in college profile a little bit less in, in assessing his value. That being said, Mike Williams was an absolute monster coming out of school. He was the seventh overall selection in the 2017 draft by the Chargers. He is a huge guy. He is a go-up-and-get-it kind of receiver. Uh, And one quick note on that, there is reports that in this new offense that Joe Lombardi is installing, Williams will be the X. That's good news for him. That's where he should be playing. So NFL performance. Although inconsistent, Williams has delivered solid numbers in the past. In 2019, he had over uh, 1,000 yards, on five more targets and one more reception than he did last season. So we're not asking for a huge jump in volume, and I'll come back to that in a second. In 2018, he caught 10 touchdowns, and partially because of that, he finished as wide receiver 32 in PPR and a huge wide receiver 21 in standard. That 10 touchdowns will do that and you know make that gap that way. So the QB during these years when he had some of these this good production an aging Philip Rivers who struggled to get the ball down the field. Williams needs a QB who can launch the ball down the field, and as I said, go up and use his big frame to get it. And that's exactly what Offensive Rookie of the Year Justin Herbert showed us last season. In terms of the offense and team in general, this offense, from a philosophy standpoint, is TBD. The new head coach for the Chargers is Brandon Staley. He comes over from being a defensive coordinator on the Rams. Joe Lombardi is the new offensive coordinator, as I mentioned. He was previously the QB coach for the Saints. 
I think we are still waiting in terms of figuring out kind of what their preferences and what trends, uh, you know, are going to exist within the Chargers for this coming season moving forward. That being said, we've mentioned this already, but the Chargers offense is absolutely a team that you want to attach yourself to. Last year, they were sixth in passing yards, fifth in passing attempts, and 10th in passing touchdowns. Again, Justin Herbert is a young QB coming off an offensive rookie of year performance with what should be also a better offensive line. Uh, they drafted Rashawn Slater in the first round of the of the most recent draft, a pick that was widely praised by analysts, and they also signed who uh, PFF, I believe, graded as the number one center in free agency, Corey Lindsley. So let's come back briefly to that volume, that volume argument. For me, Williams is locked in as the third receiving option on this team behind Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. The rest of this roster on the offensive side of the ball remains pretty consistent from last year with one big exception. The Chargers replace an ascending but often injury-prone Hunter Henry with Jared Cook. Last season, Henry counted for 93 targets in that offense. That's pretty good from a volume standpoint for, for, for tight end, at least. Over the last five seasons, Cook is averaging around 70 targets per, per season, which includes 2018 when he had 101, an outlier in, in you know, the, the general trend for him. So I don't need all those vacated targets to go to Williams, which is good because they won't. There are other guys in, in the Chargers locker room that will get looks. But if some of those targets do end up going Williams' way, I really think that he will outperform his ADP, which is extremely low right now. I'm not asking Williams to be even a wide receiver too. I think this is a guy that you're able to draft as your wide receiver four, maybe even your wide receiver five. And if he plays up to his potential, he will deliver you that mid to high wide receiver three value. It's an argument that is, again, remarkably similar to Antonio Brown. That's good offenses. There is volume available. And Similar to AB, as we mentioned, Williams looks to be a pretty solid shot for the third receiving option on his team. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought up Mike Williams. Um, uh, He's one of my favorite later round players to target. I think he has tremendous upside. You know, he put together the 1,000 yard season, he put together the 10 touchdown season. If he can put those two together. Yep. This season, he's going to so, so strongly outperform his ADP of, of what was it, wide receiver 49. Yep. It, it, you're taking the upside chance. Like we said, we're not, you know, this is not a situation where you're investing a lot of capital. And he, he could have honestly fit in the breakouts category because he's still young and he might take that step up to be, you know, a, a solid wide receiver too for your fantasy team yep. Um, with, with um, Justin Herbert at the helm. The other thing I I wanted I wanted to clarify I think you mentioned that Joe Lombardi who's their new OC um, said that he's probably going to be the X receiver. Yes. If you don't know what that means, Michael Thomas played X the X receiver for the Saints. Yep. Joe Lombardi came from the Saints. So what we're saying here is essentially you know we're extrapolating sort of and saying totally. Mike Williams is going to be the Michael Thomas of the Chargers offense. Is he going to be as productive as, as Michael Thomas for fantasy? Of course not. But if he can be, you know, 70% of that, then he's going to so strongly outperform his ADP. Yep. And to further clarify that X really means you're playing on a line. You are likely to get jam coverage from NFL quarterbacks, cornerbacks, excuse me. You're probably going to be 
man for a lot of a lot of your routes, and it suits big go up and get it kind of receivers, which is exactly what Mike Williams is. Yep. Honorable mentions for the values category: T. Higgins, Mike Davis, Brandon Cooks, Tom Brady, Zach Moss, Robbie Anderson, Raheem Mostert, David Johnson, James Conner, and Will Fuller. That was an action-packed episode. Yeah, wow. That was jam-packed. We have an awesome show next time, our next episode. We're going to get into some draft tips and strategies. I know we've been teasing that episode Mm -hmm. quite a bit. Um, So please tune in for that. You can follow us on Twitter at DirtyWaterFF and at MilesUllmanFF, Instagram at DirtyWaterFantasy, Facebook, DirtyWaterFantasy, all other platforms, you can check us out at anchor.fm slash dirty water fantasy. That'll do it. Yeah, man. A lot of analysis packed into that, but an awesome show and I had a blast preparing for it. Goodbye. Thank you. See ya. While you're dying inside, dying inside.